Welcome to the podcast, Meet My Potential, where Deepa chats with leaders around the world once a week or simply shares her insights. This podcast is for those who aspire to meet their highest inner potential. Each episode brings you one simple tool that you can apply at work or in life. Hello and welcome. Our guest today is Jonathan Greens. Jonathan's got a PhD in leadership studies and does executive coaching and leadership training through Center of Transformative Leadership and European Center of Leadership Practice. Welcome, Jonathan. Jonathan, the topic today is Dirty Achievers. Can you tell us what does it mean? Thanks, Deepa. It's a pleasure to be here today, and it's an interesting topic. So we all like to achieve things. You know, as infants, we learn to control our body. We crawl, we walk, all these kind of things. We learn to run. These are big achievements in our little worlds. And this process of learning to achieve is driven by trial and error, right? We experiment, we learn, we see what works and what doesn't. And all of this is linked to neuroscience. How does dopamine make us want to achieve a goal And when we succeed, we get a rush of opioids that give us pleasurable feelings from our achievement. This is a natural brain chemistry cycle, and so it's very natural for us to want to achieve. However, this desire to achieve can get hijacked. For example, underneath our drive for achieving tasks, there can be another kind of drive, which is more of a need unconsciously attaching itself to the success of our task accomplishment. It might be that somewhere in our childhood, rewards, love, positive parental input to our self-esteem, all of these and more maybe became conditional upon achieving certain things, like having good grades or sports accomplishments we became our achievements Mm -hmm. instead of having them. We became identified with them. We weren't okay unless we were achieving and being best or first or fastest or whatever. All of these things became then connected to our basic sense of identity and security in the world. So then in our adult work life, this pattern becomes unconscious and automatic. It's just the way things are, it's just the way we are. We've internalized the need to be in control of the outcomes in order to have self-esteem. And this need to control outcomes, to win the contract, to get a promotion, to win the race, whatever those are, that need controls us and it distorts our natural drive to achieve it makes it dirty. And yet when one leans purely on achievement to have a good sense of self-esteem, I see that people can become potentially dirty achievers. Can you give an example of such a manager? Sure, Deepa. I remember one manager Mm -hmm. who always needed his team's success to be about him. So his need for personal recognition to be seen as the one who made it happen 
it was based on a deeper need where he believed that he was not okay as a person if it was not his idea, his inspiration to the team, his ability to motivate the team, et cetera, that drove the achievement. So in exploring this with him, he described his inner world as having a bunch of flies buzzing around in his head so that he actually could not see what was going on outside of him and around him clearly. Each fly he described like a feeling or thought that came in and distracted his attention. Am I good enough? Will I come out looking good with the boss? Who else might get recognition for the idea? If I don't win, I'll be a loser. And all these things were little thoughts and feelings that came buzzing around and distracting him. And that left little time for seeing the needs of his team members clearly. And it also created an underlying anxiety that just made him push harder and be more driven to achieve. I can think of several managers who have such kind of flies in their head. They typically have inner dialogues like, am I doing it right? Just like you mentioned, am I being recognized? Am I getting it right, et cetera. And this kind of inner dialogue creates a lot of stress for managers. They find it hard to center themselves and respond to their team from a very clean place. While I can see the impact it has on themselves, what is the impact of this buzzing noise of these flies, these kind of inner dialogues? on others. Ah, uh, yes. So it's a big enough problem for ourselves to manage us and all these distractions. But then what is really hard for these dirty achievers, so to speak, is to see the impact that they have on others, right? Because they are too occupied with all these flies distracting their attention. So what they see is justifications for their opinions about others. And the impact that this has, we'll try and illustrate this a little bit with this same manager. So he was annoyed by his team members because they seemed to ignore his requests for action. And then they didn't take responsibility for the outcomes and they were lying to cover up their incompetence. And worst of all for him, they didn't seem to acknowledge his competence. So he then looked at all these behaviors and he interpreted them and formed an opinion that his team were useless, ignorant, incompetent cowards. And because now he held these opinions about his team members, to him, that was a judgment and evaluation and an informed assessment about his team so he took action. He would then document everything they did or didn't do. He took his concerns to his boss or anyone else who would listen to him and whine about his team. So now, what do you think his team members saw? You know, how did they interpret it? his actions? They saw him as over-dramatizing everything, nagging them too much and wasting their time and that he was arrogant. Now, each of these incidents by themselves might be small, too, too small to really take action on or notice. It's not enough to be really annoyed by. But each 
of these little instances left a mark. Or you could say they put a stamp in a stamp collection book that each person on the team had about their manager. And over time, this would accumulate a history of resentment towards this manager. And from that accumulated resentment, they would find themselves unwilling to take action on his requests or to take responsibility for outcomes. And they certainly filtered out any of their manager's actual competences, preferring instead to focus on his shortcomings to reinforce the opinion they had now built on him. So no one was really happy in this situation. Achievement or productivity was only coming at higher and higher costs to trust, motivation, and goodwill. They were stuck in what we would call a cycle of collusion. Right, I can very clearly see the cycle of collusion, especially when the manager starts off by trying to justify his own beliefs that the team is incompetent, that they are ignoring his requests, and the team doesn't take responsibility, and the team sees him as someone who's being nagging, and therefore they're not motivated to act. Due to their lack of motivation to act, the manager reinforces his own belief that they are useless or that they are incompetent and cowards. So that's a very classic collusion cycle that the team and the managers can get themselves involved in. This really creates a history of resentment against the manager and the manager starts pushing harder and harder to achieve and get things done from his team. Well, this kind of achievement does clearly come at a very high cost. What do you see as some of the typical challenges that these managers face? Well, there's, there's lots of challenges, of course. The first one is really clear, you know, how to get the flies in their head to stop swarming around. That's the fundamental challenge that in these kind of situations, learning to manage your own inner world is the first and most important challenge. And the question then becomes, what is feeding those flies? What is their source of energy? And so the challenge for these type of managers is they can't see what that source is. It's really hidden from them. So all these distractions buzzing around seem to be real things out in the world. They believe that they are seeing those things in others when really it's something in themselves and this is what we call self-deception. And it's something that is fundamental to our human condition. We all have blind spots. We all don't see the log in our own eye. We, instead, we try to take the splinter out of somebody else's. And the reason we focus on those things in others is because we recognize that they are in ourselves. But when we don't admit that, when we're not kind of humble enough to stop and take responsibility for that, we project it onto others and that just makes the situation worse. So the real challenge for these managers is to be vulnerable and admit that they, as the manager, have a responsibility for this situation. We don't wanna say that they're totally responsible for the whole universe. But somehow in this situation, they have contributed and have responsibility for their contribution. They can't just pass that off onto others. And 
where I come from, that's what you call dirty pool. It's a form of cheating by not taking responsibility for your own contribution to the situation. Even if my contribution is very little, it's about that starting trigger point of taking responsibility for what is my contribution, because that little contribution has perhaps created a whole lot of resentment in others. And as you rightly mentioned, vulnerability is hard. It's not easy for a manager to be vulnerable, to look at what is a splinter in one's eye. It's so much easier to go and see what's that splinter in the other person's eye. What's that fault? It's so easy to evoke that inner critic and see what's wrong with the outside mm. than to see what's going on inside. Can you give one simple tip that can help dirty achievers become much more clean with their people? Ah, uh, well, just one. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's try with one. <laughs> yeah. No, but I was thinking what you were talking about, about the, the challenge with vulnerability. And I think that this comes because we feel that to be vulnerable is to be weak. But what research tells us is that there is an immense power in vulnerability because what you're doing is showing your humanness. And people respect that. They see it's authentic and it's true. So fearing vulnerability actually is illogical in a sense. So if we think about then what can you do to go from being a dirty achiever to becoming cleaner is something that we would call humble inquiry. And this is where you actually make use of your ignorance. There's this lovely phrase that I've heard talking about access your ignorance, be vulnerable and say, I don't know. Could you tell me, could you help me understand what's going on better? And if you are actually able to inquire into this source of your own self-deception and humbly ask others to help you see what you can't see for yourself, they will have clues about it. And of course, you know, maybe at first you're, you're thinking, oh, they're just going to beat on me. They're going to use this chance to vent and, and say all this history of resentment against me. Fine, maybe, but let it, it will pass. They'll get it off their chest and they may also have something that's very valuable. So a simple way you can do this is to notice when you have a strong opinion about something. So then, if you have that and notice that opinion, ask a colleague, especially one who sees things differently than you do, but somebody who also has your best interest at heart, if they have another perspective on your opinion, then listen to them without interrupting. Notice not only what they say, but notice what automatic judgments come up in you as they talk. Do your best to put those judgments to one side. Now, that is, in effect, something very challenging to do because we have to manage ourselves. But if you're able to take that step, then later on, when you have a moment to reflect, just take this time to consider where did your opinion come from? Was there evidence to support it? Based on the evidence, what interpretation did you make that led to your opinion? 
And then what evidence did your colleague point to for his or her opinion or perspective? What interpretations did he or she make based on that? And if you do this in a genuine way, you will find that you gain some perspective on your own opinions. You get a little bit of distance and hold them at arm's length. And you can end up with more options to consider when you need to make judgments for taking actions. You might even find that you clean up some opinions that had gotten a bit dirty and see your own team a bit clearer. Thank you for that wonderful tip. I know it's not easy to implement, especially listening to someone who has contrary opinions as you do. Hold your judgments and just listen deeply without interrupting. That is something hard to do. And yet there is evidence that this brings a lot of value, especially it helps one to not respond to the flies in your head that is react to am i doing this well am i coming across well am i being recognized not reacting to those quick inner dialogues rather mm. helps you to take a distance and see what's actually going on outside there's a wonderful phrase that uh, somebody used that said we seldom actually listen what we're doing most of the time is reloading. <laughs> we're piling up ammunition to defend our own opinion. And if we can set aside that need to defend ourselves and say, well, we can take our opinion with us. That's not a problem. But if we can listen to somebody else's perspective on something, then maybe we have a chance to learn things and expand our horizons a bit. I've actually learned that through a metaphor, having your own opinions is keeping all your opinions and all your knowledge in your fist, in your hands and keeping your hands tightly closed and just opening out your fists a little bit does not mean you're going to lose your knowledge, your competence and your opinions, but it allows you to allow new opinions and new ideas to come in. And that helps strengthen and make new connections and deepen the strength of what you're able to see and how you understand things. I hope you will all make that humble inquiry and make use of your ignorance as a source of gaining deeper knowledge. Thank you very much for being here with us. And would you like to share one last message with the audience? Sure, Deepa. All of this can be hard work, and, and I can hold my hand up and say it is hard work. It's not a habit that we were trained in when we became managers. We were hired to deliver results, to achieve. However, the very things that might have given us success from the past achievements we've had are no longer enough, and we're being asked to form new habits that are often totally different than what we learned to do in order to achieve before. So just like starting out going to the gym, we can build new habits and build our reflective muscles. And a great source for doing this is the books and website resources of the art book, The Outward Mindset and Leadership and Self-Deception are elegantly simple ways to communicate some of these core principles we've been touching on today. 
Thanks. Thanks very much, Jonathan, for being here with us. Thank you, Deepa. It was a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to know more how you can meet your potential, check out www.meetmypotential.com. That's www.meetmypotential.com. Join us again. And until then, stay cool. <laughs>